Would you turn with me, please, to John chapter 17? want to encourage everybody to have a Bible open today. Uh, we're not going to have the Scriptures on the screen as we sometimes do. And so if you do not have a Bible of your own, uh, John 17 in the Pew Bible that's in front of you is found on page 1032. It is a bit of a unique day today. All that we are doing is to lead us to our point of communion as we observe the Lord's Supper. And it is not common that we give the entire message and service to this, but I did want to do that today. So we'll be doing a lot of reading, reading the entire chapter of John 17. I'll stop and make some remarks as we go. But very much so, if I could ask you now to just do your part. I know you've got things that are vying for your attention. I know you're distracted Uh, with some things maybe later today or this coming week or maybe in the past few days. And so if you would do your best right now and just say a prayer and ask God to be able to push all those things out so that you can focus on our time leading up to communion. When we make a list of the most encouraging things that someone can say to us, I think for me at the very top of the list are the words, I'm praying for you. When someone tells me they're praying for me, specifically when someone says, I pray for you every day, and I've had a number of people tell me that, that not only gives me encouragement, but that gives me courage when I walk in this world. Prayer is something that should give us courage. I think that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he, when he had his ministry in this world, I know that he was a praying person. When we look in the scriptures, it was very predictable about Jesus that before the sun came up, he could be found off on his own praying. We also know the request that the disciples gave. They did not say, would you please teach us how to heal? They did not say, would you teach us how to preach? They said, teach us how to pray. Because Jesus was a prayer warrior. I believe that when Jesus was doing his training of the 12, and we're going to focus in today not on the 12, but more on the 11, I think that his prayer ministry to them was very, very special. I think for these individuals that watched him, they watched him prove that he was God, they helped him in his ministry, they protected him sometimes. Remember how they protected him from those, those little kids that were trying to get at him? <laughs> they were always on the job. And Jesus knew their strengths. And Jesus also knew their weaknesses. So what do you think went through Peter's mind? Or John's mind? Or Judas's mind? When Jesus Christ looked them in the eye and said, I want you to know I am praying for you. Do you think they were encouraged? Do you think sometimes they were frightened? Does he know what I'm thinking? When we look at the idea of prayer, there's no doubt that Jesus Christ had so much to teach you and teach me. We're going to come to John chapter 17 today. In John 17, we have the record, not of those individual prayers that Jesus might have given about Peter and about 
John, but we have a record of a prayer that Jesus Christ gave for all of them. Now, I need to tell you the time frame when this prayer was given and when it was recorded because Jesus Christ had just finished that wonderful picture that we find of his humility and his servant's heart where he washed the feet of the disciples. Do you remember that? When he washed their feet? And he moves from washing their feet to going and having what we call the Last Supper with them. And he takes what was Passover and turns it into something very special for you and I today. And for them in that day, that's when he did it, but they didn't know quite what was going on. Between the Last Supper and that time when the soldiers would come into the garden being led by Judas... And they would take Jesus because his hour finally had come. Between these two instances, that's where we find this prayer recorded. Christ prays to the Heavenly Father. As I study this prayer, we're going to read through the entire thing. I see a few different sections. I see very specifically how he prayed to his Heavenly Father in an intimate way at the start. And then he changes The focus talks about these 11 that he's been working on, the incredible task that was ahead of them. And then he changes one more time to shift and focus on some others. Now, in John chapter 16, Jesus has said, you're all going to get scattered. All of you very soon are going to be scattered. And I imagine some of them just automatically thought, well, not me. Even if I have to die with you, I will not leave you. But clearly says, but clearly Jesus says, you're going to be scattered, but don't worry about me. Go ahead and look with me in John 17, and we'll start in the first verse. After the Last Supper, before he's taken to the cross, Jesus Christ in John 17 verse 1 says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven And said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now I want to pause just for a second, and I want to point your attention to who Jesus has been talking about, but he's going to change the direction. 
He is now, in this public prayer, going to include his followers, and he is also going to, whether they understood it or not, he's going to talk about his ascension. Jesus is going to leave them, and so he prays for them. Look in verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Let's pause there. Jesus is not giving what we will sometimes hear in some churches that are not representing salvation well. He is not giving a prayer that's like, if you just follow me, then you won't have any more problems. There's none of that going on here. It is not accept Jesus and your money problems and your health problems will go away. In fact, he's going to get very, very specific here in just a moment. I was asked a question one time. It wasn't a bad question. But why don't we Christians just all go and, and why don't we just all go find an island somewhere and just us Christians can live on that island? Would that be easier for us sometimes if we didn't have to face the persecution of the world, people opposing us? do you really think all our problems are going to go away if we just go away on an island together? They're really not because I'm coming with you and I'm going to bring some problems of my own. And you'll bring your own too. Jesus does not pray that their problems go away. Instead, he's very specific here when he prays for these. They are going to stay in the world And because of that, it is going to be so important that they understand that they are not alone. Let's pick it up there in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. In the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I need to pause here because Jesus is going to change. This is the change I warned you about. And as we are leading up to taking communion... Jesus Christ includes you in this prayer 
at this time. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Boy, right there we see it, don't we? Why are we not going by ourselves to some island so we have no more of those non-Christian problems? Jesus said it is so we can be observed by those who need the gospel. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. Back in verse 15, Jesus Christ mentioned our enemy. He mentioned the evil one. If it is the case that the devil cannot have your soul, so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he can't have you. And so what would the evil one's goal be if he cannot have your soul? Well, he wants to make you ineffective. Specifically to this prayer, he wants anyone who knows Jesus Christ to feel that they're all alone. I need to mention two different kinds of not being alone that we are blessed by. The one is the obvious one that we talk about often. The one who knows Jesus Christ is not alone because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives within. We will never be separated from the presence of God once we know Jesus Christ. For me, this comes into my prayers often when I'm praying with someone that's in a different state or a different city. Just yesterday, I was talking to somebody in a, in a different state, and I could not help as we closed that time of talking with prayer, I prayed, and I thanked God for His omnipresence because He's right here with me, right here with you, but He's also with your loved ones in a different place. So that gives us incredible confidence. But the evil one, he might not be able to convince you that Jesus is not omnipresent. He might not be able to convince you that uh, Jesus Christ, that, that that peace won't always be there when you need it. But he just might be able to convince you that when it comes to people who know Jesus Christ, you really don't need to be too close with very many of them. You see, Jesus is going to leave. 
He mentioned that. I'm going to go to heaven in his prayer. But he was going to establish his church. And the devil hates it when God's people are together. When God's people pray together. When God's people fellowship together. And when they are moving towards a common goal, the devil hates it. The evil one wants you to be alone. I mentioned earlier, even if we were to go to our own island and not have the same problems that we face with, well, you fill in the blank of what's bothering you the most these days. God wants us to understand that he has put us together for a reason. The evil one's plan is to divide and conquer. God wants us to constantly be drawing near to the cross of Jesus Christ. And don't miss this. God wants us to be constantly drawing near to other people who are close to the cross of Jesus Christ. We never stop drawing near the cross on our own. But God did not leave us here to be on our own. He has given us a group of people that were called out. Too many people. Too many will divide. Will let something that should not be as important as they're making it become so strongly thought of. I have been very intentional in the past 12 months to not say the word COVID very much. Some of you have noticed that. Some of you have appreciated that. From the first week when we were not able to meet as a church family... I said, the devil is going to use this thing in our world to divide Christians. I can remember specifically talking with one believer, and I said, we've got to be careful. Hold on a second. We've got to be careful. I can see us pretty soon having face mask community church, and we don't wear face mask Bible church. And where's your Bible verse for that, right? Now we're facing an opportunity for the devil with these vaccines. Where's your Bible verse for that? Well, some of us are pretty good about getting Bible verses, even if that's not what really God was talking about. The evil one wants you to be alone. He does not want you with the one that's down the pew from you. And he will use anything he can, anything, There's no doubt that what's been going on over the past 14 months has changed our world. It's changed our church. Some that we know right now are sick from it. It is our responsibility to not live in fear. It is our responsibility to ask whether we're in good health or in poor health, what are you going to do with this, God? What is it that you want to do with this? What are you trying to teach me? Too many people allow the evil one to get a foothold, and too many people will go too far one way or the other, and they set aside the command that we are supposed to be pouring into others and allowing others to pour into us. Does anybody remember, does anybody remember Y2K? How many of you remember Y2K, right? Man, it was a big deal, wasn't it? Some of you were really young. Y2K. It was going to be a big thing. Most people kind of blew it off. 
I'll be honest, I had a little bit of extra water stored up before New Year's Eve that year, but I didn't go buy a generator and I wasn't in any kind of panic mode. I do have a friend. My friend's name is Phil. When Y2K came, Phil grabbed a hold of this, and Phil thought the end of the world as we knew it was coming. Phil sold his house, sold his property, took his wife and his kids, and they moved in with family on some property down in a different state. They got livestock, and they got their guns, because if you've got food and you've got money, they're going to come after your stuff. It's my opinion that, that Phil missed the opportunity of how he can pour into somebody else, of what he can do. If you know the grace of Jesus Christ, if you've been forgiven, then God has called you to be a part of his church. When we study the church in the Bible, the vast majority of the references are to local assemblies, individuals who have been called out of the world so that the world can see them and so that they can make an impact in that world. When we look at the prayer of Jesus Christ, it was obvious that he loved those 11 that were with him. But then he said, these are going to preach a message. They are going to start a church And that church is going to multiply, and then we'll have dozens of churches. And after those dozens of churches, we're going to have hundreds of churches. And then there will be thousands of churches. I can remember going to a a pastor's conference five or six years ago, and I was walking around this conference, and I was seeing all these pastors and all these people, and I didn't know any of them. I didn't know any of those people. And it hit me, I thought, What in the world is God doing with all these people and I didn't even know about it? You go to any populated place in the world and God is working his business in a church. And the devil hates it. He hates it. And in America, it's so easy for us to get complacent, to not make church essential. Jesus Christ prayed for you, that you would not believe the lie of the evil one, that he would not be able to divide and conquer. And until Jesus Christ comes back in the air, he said, I want all of my churches to observe communion. We come to the Lord's table today. It's a chance for us to reflect back on what he did. It's a chance for us to look at ourselves. You might be new to Calvary. Maybe you've never been here before. Let me just explain. Jesus Christ died on a cross even though he was sinless. Jesus Christ was put in a tomb even though he was God. And Jesus Christ rose from the grave to conquer sin so that we wouldn't have to pay for our own sin. And this day... If you've never accepted Jesus, you can ask him to forgive you of your sins and he promises to do that and to make you a child of God. If you're a child of God, you need to be part of a church. If you're a part of a church, then we gather usually about once a month and we get this little wafer. They don't taste very good these days, do they? This little wafer. We put it in our mouth 
and we remember the broken body of Jesus Christ. And then we get this little cup, a little bit of drink in it. And we drink that and we remember the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ today as your Savior, I invite you to participate with us. We're going to do it a little bit different today. I am going to ask you to go ahead and take your cup at this time. We're going to sing a couple songs. I will give you a little bit of warning. There's two openings on the top of that. The first one's a very thin one to get to that wafer. Why don't you go ahead and take that top one off now, but do not open the second one until I tell you. Take that wafer out if you can. In Jesus' prayer in John 17, he had just left their time of celebrating the Passover. He turns it into something for you and for me, what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. Some call it the Eucharist. And today we follow the example of Jesus Christ when he took the bread at the Last Supper and passed it around. And he said, moving forward, when you do this, this is going to serve as a reminder of my broken body. To help prepare us a little bit better, I'd like for us to sing. Would you sing with me, There is a Redeemer? There is a entire life they had observed the Passover but now it changed Jesus Christ met with those followers and he said this is my body broken for you do this to remember me before we take of the cup I want to give us just a few moments
We're going to sing, and I'm going to give a word of explanation. After we sing, I'll read some scripture, and then I want to give you just some time for meditation on your own, and that can be a minute, that can be five minutes. We'll have the piano playing through softly, and then we'll have you dismiss yourself after you've opened up your cup and and taken of that. It's good for us to spend time reflecting on the cross. It's good for us to be reminded of just how special our Savior is to us. I mentioned earlier, we need to be very, very close to the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's sing through a couple verses of Near the Cross. Jesus, keep give you some time to meditate and to think on your relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your plan from before we were born, before the earth was formed, was to give us this wonderful gift of love, this opportunity for man to be once again reunited with you. And we thank you that we do not have to pay for our sins ourselves. We praise you for the shed blood of Jesus. How confusing that must have been in that day for his followers. And Lord, sometimes when we try to wrap our brains around it, we recognize that we are the ones that deserve the punishment. And yet we don't have to take it. We thank you for Christ's willingness to go to the cross. We thank you for a cross that was stained with his blood. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, 
that we can be seen as white as snow in your eyes because of Christ's blood applied to our account. And so we praise you this day for forgiveness. We praise you for eternity, and we praise you right now that you have not taken us out of this world, but for your promise that you will protect us from the evil one. And we thank you that we have all the power that we need to make this happen. We thank you for watching over us. We praise you that we can love you with how we live our lives. I want to give you opportunity to pray. As the piano plays through, take some time to think on your relationship with Christ, the work Jesus did on the cross. And when you're done meditating, just go ahead and take of the juice. And then if you would just dismiss yourself quietly, and that's how we're going to close our time today. So would you please just take a moment of meditation? Meditation.